Chapter 9 When Jack reached home, the house was unusually quiet. It had the air of a place in which a lot of people are lying low. Mrs. Fosdyke was busy enough in the kitchen, however, and lunch was definitely on. "'Where is everybody?' he inquired. "'The Lord knows why,' replied Mrs. Fosdyke, at a tangent. "'Mrs. Bagthorpe had to send for that chit in the first place. "'I've always tried to give satisfaction. "'There's never been any complaints.' Mrs. Fosdyke had been tactfully told of the au pair's impending arrival some weeks previously by Mrs. Bagthorpe. She had simply been told that the main reason for the visit was to bring Tess's Danish on, and to have someone to help with the driving and perhaps do the odd chore. Mrs. Fosdyke had not been convinced by this. She did not say so to Mrs. Bagthorpe, but in the fiddler's arms she said what she really felt, which was that the whole thing was casting aspersions on herself and could even be the first step toward her herself being made ultimately redundant. "'They'll find their mistake, of course,' she said. "'I've seen one or two films with them Danish or pairs, and it's not chores they do, oh dear me, no.' Jack was wise enough not to pursue the matter of the new arrival. "'Is Zero still in Mother's room?' he asked. Mrs. Fosdyke, on the other hand, was not prepared to let the matter go. "'Up in her room,' she said. "'Been up there ever since she got here, weeping buckets.' "'Crying? What for?' Mrs. Fosdyke shrugged her shoulders. "'These Continentals is all the same. "'I've seen some of them subtitle films. "'It's no surprise to me.' Jack decided against going to Mrs. Bagthorpe's room to check on Zero, in case he interrupted a problem. He filled in the time until lunch by going to his room and unwrapping his parcel from Mysteries.' After a quick look in the crystal ball, he put it back in its straw-packed box in case he should accidentally happen to glance at it and see something in there. There was not much he could do with the dowsing gear, so he lit a jasmine-scented stick of incense and stuck it in a half-finished scone he had brought up the previous night. He watched the tiny red tip of the stick and the thinly wreathing smoke, and soon the scent reached him. He sniffed. He rather liked it. He sniffed again. After that, he tried to breathe ordinarily, because it might, it occurred to him, be the deliberate inhaling of the incense that brought the visions on. He even got up and opened a window. <laughs> if Zero doesn't like the smell, I shan't burn it in here anyway, he decided. He lay on his bed, studying the book that accompanied the tarot cards. The whole thing seemed very complicated. There was little doubt that any futures Jack foretold would be based upon pure guesswork, with or without the benefit of the tarot cards. There was a tap on his door, and his mother and Zero came in together. The latter leaped on the bed and licked Jack's face, then jumped off and stood by the scone with the incense stuck in it, sniffing rapturously. "'There's a queer smell in here,' began Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'And what?' She noticed the incense stick and Zero. She took a deep breath, and Jack knew this meant she was going to be very calm and reasonable, despite strong urges to be the opposite. It was part of her yoga. "'Quite a nice smell,' she said, determinedly forcing a slight smile. "'Jasmine, isn't it?' He nodded. "'There's several flavors,' he told her. "'Sandalwood and amber and rose and stuff.' "'Was that what you went into Isham for?' she, said, she asked. "'Or perhaps you went for that model glider you're saving up for?' "'I'm going to wait before I buy that,' he said. "'There are more things in heaven and earth than gliders.' "'and I had to spend my money on priorities. "'Which are... "'These,' he waved at the tarot pack, "'and those.' 
He jerked his head toward the dowsing rod and the box containing the crystal ball. The box said, Crystal ball, first quality on it, so she could see at a glance what it was. She sat down suddenly. Sometimes, she said, half to herself, I think I ought to give up other people's problems and concentrate on my own. I think I fail you. You mustn't worry about me, mother. Jack could not help feeling guilty. He wanted to be a phenomenon and a prophet all right, but not if it was going to upset her too much. I expect it's just a passing phase I'm going through. She clutched gratefully at this straw. Yes, I expect that's it. After all, you're a growing boy. You're bound to have passing phases. I think everyone gets them sometimes, said Jack wisely. He was enjoying this unaccustomed philosophical discussion. Probably you do as well. Do you know? I think I do, she agreed. And Grandma certainly does, said Jack with conviction. Oh, dear, and that's another thing. She's still in bed. Oh, and that Danish girl, such a commotion. Mrs. Fosdyke said she was crying when she got here, Jack said. Perhaps it was Uncle Parker's driving that had upset her. It can be pretty frightening if you're not used to it. Do you know? That's exactly what your father said. He said it was enough to reduce anyone to tears. You know how he talks. But he could be right. How is he? asked Jack. Oh, and that's another thing. He's like a caged beast. He's up and dressed now and pacing round and round his study. It must be terrible to have all that creativity bottled up inside you. I don't think any of us realizes what he suffers. Zero probably does, said Jack. Zero suffers a lot. And of course Tess is dreadfully upset, continued Mrs. Bagthorpe on her own tack. You know how much she was looking forward to Atlanta coming. Atlanta, said Jack scornfully. He felt much the same as Grandma did about this name, and Mrs. Fosdyke had already flatly stated that she was not calling anybody by that name, ever. She doesn't seem to understand much English, either, went on Mrs. Bagthorpe worriedly. I understood that she was more or less bilingu bilingual. Mm -hmm. Speaking two languages, English and Danish. It later appeared that Mrs. Bagthorpe's fears were justified. Atlanta was indeed bilingual, but the languages involved were Danish and Portuguese. Uh -huh. Her command of English was negligible. It did not even amount, as Mr. Bagthorpe said, to a smattering. She could say, please, and thank you, and yes, and no. She could also say, please have you change for a pound, and I have an aunt who lives in Bournemouth, and count up to ten. None of which, he further pointed out, was going to take her far in the English social scene. As it turned out, Atlanta did not need to speak English in order to become the center of a social whirl. All she needed to do was appear. She was, once she had stopped crying and the swelling of her eyes and nose had subsided, devastating. She was Mrs. Fosdyke's worst fears come true, the prototype of every Danish au pair she had ever seen in films. At this stage, of course, none of this had emerged. As yet, the Bagthorpes knew only that they had a seventeen-year-old Danish girl with a blotchy face sobbing her heart out in the guest-room, and not seeming to understand a word that was said to her. Next door, Tess was crying, too, but not so noisily. "'Jack, dear,' Mrs. Bagthorpe rose, "'could you go along and see if your grandparents want lunch? I shall have to go and have another word with Atlanta.' Grandpa wanted lunch, but Grandma refused, saying she didn't want any lunch and didn't feel as if she ever would again. Atlanta stayed in her room, and Tess stayed in hers in sympathy. 